0: Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. I can't wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. Today's hero is one smart cookie. Not only was he the winner of the Great British Bake Off, but he did it whilst casually sitting exams. He has a first-in-law and a diplôme de patisserie. Ha <laughs> I said it. But aside from the accolades, is a gorgeous, empathetic man who has carved his own way and made his own dreams his reality. It is John Waite. John, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. It's been 10 years since your time on Great British Bake Off, and I found out earlier this week that whilst you were on Bake Off, you were also sitting your law exams. This
1: is. Are you a lunatic? No, no I am a masochist for sure. <laughs> I, it was interesting because this week, I was listening to another podcast. I can't remember what it was, but they said that kids who grow up in traumatic environments are often high achievers. And I think for me, it comes down to that. I think, you know, I I went through, my parents got divorced when I was young and I didn't really feel safe in the family environment. I mean, they they were great parents, but it just didn't feel safe. And then at school, I was bullied at the same time. And therefore, I didn't feel safe. And then I've tried to just push myself and prove that I am good enough. And sometimes to, to the detriment of doing things like Bake Off and Law Degree. Not not that either of those were detrimental at all. In fact, they were both bloody brilliant in terms of my future and my life. But, you know, it was stressful. Um, and I think that's why. I think, I think it's because I, I'm a people-pleasing son of a gun.
0: I can relate to that actually fully because I think that there's a level of growing up Traumatized, but also living with secrets, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever they are, being gay. And I think you've come out the gate the minute you say, I'm gay, running 10 times faster than everybody else, wanting to prove a point, whether yeah. it's to be yourself, or especially proving a point to everyone around you. So, because you grew up on a farm, were you competitive then? Or is that a product of the trauma?
1: I think growing up on the farm at that time when kind of I was understanding my sexuality and it was very isolating, I think that definitely contributed to my competitive spirit because um, I wanted to prove that I was good enough, for sure. I have two sisters as well and we were always kind of were fighting for our parents' attention, as siblings do, you know, there's nothing unusual about that scenario whatsoever. When you grow up gay, especially our generation, who when we watched anything that was gay on television, it was scandalous, there was negative talk around that. When you grow up gay... In the 80s and 90s, I think what happened is we realised that we would be labelled by many people for the rest of our lives. Like, we wouldn't be able to play football in some circumstances because it was such a homophobic area. And I think most of us go through an identity crisis when we were coming out as gay or bi or whatever Through in that time. It meant that we've suffered a real identity crisis. And for me, I think the end of that crisis is only just kind of insight because I didn't know what it was to be a man if you're gay can you be a man like all these things and and that's basically based on the toxic paradigm of what masculinity is that was shoved down our throats when we were younger and still is in some respects and I think it really does make a kid question who the freaking hell they are
0: and also I don't know how you feel about this but I've always struggled with where I sit within my masculinity femininity and what a man is yeah you know I think because when you grow up with a lack of representation of someone that looks like you or is like you, it's a struggle, right? You have to carve your own path.
1: It definitely is a struggle. And I I used to love wearing my mum's dresses and heels and stuff. And, And my dad used to love dressing up like he was an actor. Yeah, and he used to do amdram and so he'd always like come to the front door dressed as an old lady so in a way that was good because <laughs> he didn't kind of perpetuate that myth of toxic masculinity he he actually broke that mold for me and that was kind of something that I did cling on to but, yeah I could see people judging like even my own my own mum when I wanted a wig for Christmas I could see her panicking that and I don't think it was because she was bigoted in any any sense because she's remarkable but I think she'd seen through the 70s and 80s the hostility towards queer people and she was genuinely afraid for my future and my safety Um, but as a kid you don't really appreciate the reason why someone looks at you in fear or disgust you just see the disgust so that played into it as well, the fact that I like to wear her heels. Yeah, when
0: my mum and dad would go out on a Tuesday night to Skittles, I would count down the seconds so I could run upstairs and, and put on the heels and put on the dresses. And I would, I would listen out on their way home. i think, oh, she's coming back, she's coming back, and I'd be stripping off the, well, fancy dress that went on to be a big part in my life, I guess. Um, so listen, competition comes with a level of pressure. Mm. How do you deal with that? Because... You know, you not just competed in Bake Off, that competition seems to have played a bit of a reoccurring theme in
1: your life. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I've never really appreciated that point. That's a really, really good question and one I've never been asked before. I think for me, the result of the pressure is my eating disorder. You know, I've never really considered that to be a link. But I think that the immense pressure that I do put myself under puts in me overworking in the gym, making myself sick after a binge, you know, I'm bulimic. And I think I always considered that to be because of the gay shame thing, which it is. But I never realised until this moment that it probably is down to the pressure that I put myself under because I'm competitive and because I want to be perceived to be the best and I feel only validated if other people appreciate my worth rather than me appreciating my worth. And that's something I'm working on. But yeah, I think it definitely comes out in a very dangerous and corrosive way for me
0: and how have you learned to work with these things because obviously therapy is a great tool but an age is is a a healer for a lot of the time but I think that when these things happen when we're living with trauma they can you know come out of the of the woodwork when we're least expecting yeah
1: when I'm competing like during bake-off I was terrible with my bulimia and during strictly you know I was in that bathroom four or five times a day it was that bad Whoa. and i think for me it's just a case of being open and honest with my family like i was on the phone to mum because for strictly i moved down to london they moved me and my partner and our dog down to london to film because it was still kind of the age of covid so i rang mum and said you know my bulimia is really bad right now and she just kind kind of cancelled me through it and said You know, you don't need to continue with this if you don't want to. If you feel like it's too much, you can drop out and I won't think any less of you. And Paul, my partner, said the same. And I think for me, it's just about being honest and open. And I think there's a danger in that because I'm a very honest person. And sometimes when I'm doing Steph's packed lunch, for example, I'll get what I call verbal diarrhea, and I'll just put my whole life on a plate in front of people and, and you know, tell everyone everything, my deepest, darkest secrets. And there is something to be said, I think, for honesty, but I also think there's something very, very valuable about respecting your own privacy and allowing yourself to keep your counsel sometimes, and that for me is something I'm working on because not only is it in a verbal way, but like on, on my waitlist and Instagram profile, for example, sometimes I'll share pictures of myself that are a little bit risky, and that's solely for validation, and it's ridiculous. If I was to be a follower of my Instagram post, I'd think, what a complete and utter wanker this person is <laughs> but because it's me I understand that I'm not just an attention-seeking son of a good I, I've got an issue and I'm working on it you know but it, it, it is something that I'm mindful of so for me it's just a case of being open and honest with the right people and respecting my own boundaries I think acknowledging boundaries is a really important thing and sometimes you have to remind yourself that boundaries and limits aren't weaknesses they're strengths and sometimes people might try and erode those and say, oh, that's just a weakness or you're being weak. And actually, no, it's not. If I don't want to see you this weekend, mate, I don't need to give you a reason. I just don't want to see you because I find you to be a toxic person. Mm. That's not directed at you, Glenn. Don't worry. It's just a ch- kind of general person.
0: Well, it's awkward because you cancelled our plans this weekend. So now I know oh, it's sorry. about me. <laughs> it's so fascinating. You're talking about boundaries, actually, because as a 42-year-old man, John, I'm finally, finally setting boundaries in my life. And. I can really relate on what you're talking about, validation, because I've always, validation is such an interesting thing because I always think of myself as a very confident, strong person. And so I would almost say that I don't look for validation. However, I really do in a lot of what I do. And I think we live in a world now which is forcing us to crave and ask for validation. So that's even more dangerous. And I've recently realised that, I'm the same as you. I've got to stop asking for validation (laughs) because it's so dangerous.
1: It is dangerous. And what I've realised, I think, from the past 14 years with my partner, because he's a very quiet, introverted guy, very, very shy. But I've never known anyone like Paul because he is the most self-assured person. Not cocky, you know, but he knows who he is. He knows his limits. He knows his values. And every choice he makes in life he bases on the values that he's chosen for himself. And I think that takes a great deal of strength, so much strength and so much self-awareness. I think that's the thing. I think people like you and me who, you know, we're all sequins and sparkles and we love to have a good laugh and we kind of see ourselves as these carefree, happy-go-lucky people. I think inside there is, there are, big holes that we need to try and fill. And I think only we can fill those for ourselves. And that takes work, it takes boundaries, it takes discipline, and it's fucking boring, you know. I'd rather go out and get absolutely drunk and have a good laugh and take my clothes off in a room full of sweaty men. But unfortunately, I can't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And that's called a boundary. It's boundary. So what are
0: those boundaries? I mean, you obviously you don't live in London, and, and I mean, that for me feels like that might be one, you know, as a a lady of a certain age now, I'm getting to a point where I'm realising that's a boundary that I need to set, that maybe London is not what it used to be for me. So do you find that that's that's a a conscious boundary that you've set,
1: that you can go up
0: and you can be in this gorgeous cabin that you're, you're, you know, dialing in from?
1: Yeah, I think for me, we moved back up north about five years ago because we wanted that homely lifestyle. You know, we still go to Manchester every couple of weeks and get absolutely rat-assed. I needed that sense of home in a real physical way. I get it in Paul, you know, he is my spiritual home, which sounds absolutely wanky as hell, but he really, really is. But, you know, you need a place, and I think London for me is wonderful, I love it, Manchester is wonderful, I love it, but if I were to stay more than a week in either of those cities, I would be probably drink myself to death and I really mean that without any flippancy without any you know humour I think it would be a dangerous place I also felt like I had unfinished business I moved back in the area that I grew up the general area and I wanted to to move back and achieve something here like I didn't want to just be one of these guys who floats off to London and does great things and turns his back on his family and his upbringing I wanted to come back and say to this little world I'm worthy you know I'm worthy I can achieve things and I can do it from from the great British countryside. Um, which probably, again, is kind of semi-validation from external sources, so that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> is there a lot of pride towards what you've achieved up there? No, no there isn't. I think I come from a, a farming family, a very down-to-earth family, and it's, it's ba- you're only as good as your next meal, basically. My parents are very, very proud of everything that I've achieved, but... Pride dwindles, and you can't cling on to pride. I think if you cling on to pride, you don't continue to achieve. It's always... I th- what I've what I've taught myself this year, though, on that note, is that no matter what happens with my career, the media career, whether it ebbs, flows, or completely obliterates, you know, it blows up and <laughs> dissolves into a million pieces, which sometimes they do, no one can ever take away f- from me the fact that I put myself out there on the dance floor as the first male couple. No one can take away from me the fact that I did my Bake Off uh, at the same time as my law degree, and that is something I am proud of. Not because it's impressive and because other people think bloody hell that's amazing, but because I know the struggle, the effort, how hard that was for me to do that. You know, I don't, I don't rest on my laurels, but I'm fucking proud of them. That's for sure. You should be. I mean, we talk about so
0: so much on this podcast is representation. And I remember when it was announced that you and Johannes were going to be dancing, my heart was so full because I just remember thinking of myself in the 80s, looking up at primetime TV and, and Strictly is such a beacon as a, as a TV show. And it's a show that you can watch with your parents knowing that you're different. So there you are with Johannes changing the way that mainstream TV is operating. There's no question in there. I just wanted to tell you that there was a huge amount of our community that were unbelievably proud of what you were doing. I
1: felt it. I really did feel it. I felt the outpouring of love was so overwhelming. I mean, I felt lifted up every single day by messages, by people doing drawings of me and Johannes and everything we achieved. Like, it was empathy. People from our community saw the pain... That we all went through as kids growing up in the '90s and the early '80s and early '90s, mm. they they know that pain, they know that feeling, they know that that what it is to be an outcast, as you said. And so, with great empathy, they poured themselves into what me and Johannes did, and therefore it was bigger than just me and Johannes. You know, we did it, but it was it was part of a, a whole community, and most importantly. It was thanks, obviously, to the BBC for letting it happen, which they bloody should have done a long time ago, but thank God they yeah. did. But really, it's down to the people who have paved the way, the people who marched in the early Pride parades, the people, you know, the old generation of the LGBTQI plus community who were battered in the streets, some of them were persecuted, prosecuted, killed. It's those people who have fought for our liberties, but it's our responsibility now to continue to fight for those liberties because everywhere you look, you know, Trust allegedly wants to put a stamp down on on what kids see in schools and trans people and same for Rishi Sunak. And when you hear that kind of vitriol being battered around in the ping pong of politics, it just makes you feel... Those feelings that we had in the 80s, in the 90s of insecurity, of hatred, they all come rushing back to the surface. And we can't have the next generation of queer kids feeling that. We cannot. Because to see the queer kids today, the way that they dress, the lads paint the nails, and it just makes me so proud of them. Like, I wish I'd had an ounce of that self-belief when I was a child. And to see them have that, it makes us think we've worked hard for this, for their freedoms, and the people who came before us as well. The thing I really love about Strictly when Strictly is at its best is the
0: storytelling, you know, yeah. through the dance, through the costumes. And I think when you're telling a story like you and Johannes, it, it, it honestly, it touched not only me, but I think there's going to be a whole generation of young queer kids, actually not just queer kids, but kids that don't see themselves, you yeah. know, that feel like mainstream spaces are not for them. You, you open up that door. So it's amazing. Amazing. And it's camp, John. It's camp. It certainly is camp. Do you have any reservations? Because I guess you've gone from winning Bake Off and then there'd been quite a big gap and yeah. then to come out on what is the biggest show on television making a statement like that... Um, there must have been some nerves and apprehensions about doing it. There really
1: were. I think the main one was at first when I got asked to do the male-male partnership, I said, okay, but I'd really prefer to dance with a straight man because I thought that would be more palatable and I thought it would be more digestible for the bigoted people, the people whose mindsets we were hoping to change. But after a while, I realised that it was important for it to be two gay men. Not that I had any say in it whatsoever because it's all down to you know BBC studios who make those decisions, but... I really, really prayed that it would be Johannes because I realised the power of that partnership. It would be be remedying years of injustice against queer people if if Johannes and I could be together. And when it came to that day, I just kind of felt secure. I knew that they would support us, the, the Strictly team, because they made it quite clear how protective they were going to be over us. And as soon as I met Johannes and we kind of started, I just knew that it was right you know every time we we hugged each other we could feel that immense power between us like the emotion from for what we were doing was there and it was genuine and it was beautiful but what I found powerful about the whole experience was the fact that it did change mindsets you know people would message me and say I didn't think this would work, I thought it would be disgusting to see, but actually I see it now and I want to learn more about the queer community. And I think that's a huge message as to why cancel culture is not a good thing. Because if you cancel someone straight away, as soon as they say something against your beliefs or your values, if you cancel that person immediately and somewhat arbitrarily, you don't give Justice and truth the chance to have its moment. Sometimes you have to battle against bigotry Mm. if after a while They're still bigoted as hell and racist or homophobic then you know you can cancel them Mm. But at least for your own sake for your own values sake Fight for what you believe in don't just turn your back on them and block them So um, it was a strong powerful thing that we did and I'll miss it for the rest of my life You know, I don't think my life will ever be the same. So I've um, stalked you somewhat on socials and you you love a guitar,
0: you love singing, you've got a great voice, you bake, you dance, you have a law degree. (laughs) I could go on, you're a fitness guru. How do you take all of those things and then think to myself, that's what I'm going to pursue in a career? Because I think sometimes having many strings to your bow is both a gift and a curse, because it can confuse you as to where you want to go. So how do you navigate all of those skill sets and and making what you do the right yeah. move?
1: Well if, if if you know it's the right move? I know exactly what you're asking there because, you know, whenever I've been through a bit of a one as one career goes down the pan a little bit, I start to panic and think, you know, what am I gonna do? Shall I open a bakery? Shall I do this? Shall I start an OnlyFans account? And you know, my mum my mum's often said to me, You're a bit of a butterfly. And I, I am, you know, I'm impulsive. And sometimes the passion dwindles and wanes. But that's just who I am. So
0: you're someone that really listens to your gut instinct. I
1: am. And touch wood, I do feel like it served me well. Even though I have self-doubt and I'm crippled with anxiety, I do trust my instinct. I do know what's good for me. Sometimes I don't even know that I know what's good for me, but it turns out that I, my gut instinct was right. It's wild, isn't it? Because yeah. I've, I never used
0: to. I never used to have the courage to trust that that gut instinct, and, and I do now. I mean, it's all yeah. I follow. But it's a really hard thing to explain to somebody what even that is, trusting your gut instinct. It, there's some fire, there's some burn in you that just pushes you in the right direction, right?
1: Exactly, and I, you know, you are you are so remarkable with what you've achieved from doing that. You are a huge inspiration to me, mate. You really are, and I think it is a difficult thing to explain to someone because it sounds so platitudinal and trite, doesn't it, to say, oh, you just follow your guts." It's like what your grandma would say to you. But turns out, old Christine yeah. was right when she was telling me that because the, I think a key power towards achieving that is being able to put a middle finger up to all the noises and the external voices, and that's yes. that's that's one thing I'm good at. You know, when I'm making decisions for me, I'm able to just say, "Not today, Satan," and I'm doing this. Like when I was doing my barrister training. And I got pneumonia and I had to miss a a few weeks. It was an intense course to catch up on, so I dropped out and I decided to go to Canada in the middle of winter. After I'd had pneumonia, I was like, I'm gonna go to Canada for a winter and work on a farm. And my mum was like, please don't, just finish the course. And if I'd listened to her, I wouldn't have done Strictly. You know, I wouldn't, all the other things that have happened since wouldn't have happened. So not that I quit thinking I'm gonna be on Strictly, I quit, you know, in, in blind panic thinking, how the bloody hell will I pay for my mortgage? But I did it anyway, recklessly. I'm recklessly instinctive is what I am. I mean, actually,
0: a huge amount of people that we get on this podcast, I've got that rebellious, instinctive, sometimes uh, kind of a bit wild spirit that... that, I don't know if, if... well, I, I do know you do have that um, where if society is telling you to do one thing, you want to just rebel and get and do the opposite. Yeah, that's
1: me to a T. Yeah, I think there is a power in that. I think the way you execute that instinct is is important. Like it's important not to try and burn too many bridges and to still be respectful in the rebellion. But I say rebel nonetheless. If we didn't have, if we didn't rebel, we, women would wouldn't be voting still. Gays would still be being hung, or you know, locked up in prison, or chemically castrated. The, 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 our freedoms, rebellion leads to freedom, and uh, I think if you rebel with a bit of self-discipline, the freedom is much more delicious at the end of it.
0: I totally agree. So if you're trusting your gut instinct. What's what's
1: still to come? I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, I could I, I could die happy. I could really do. I not know. If that sounds like a do ridiculous know, thing to say, but uh, I've been thinking about it. Yeah.
0: Shall I pitch to you for your next idea? Go on. I think we need new keep fit heroes. Yeah. Um I am currently trying to get myself in that space and it's it's hard. It's not easy to radically transform your body, change your habits, because actually it's bigger than that. It's yeah. it's reconditioning every single thing, not only you've been told, but generationally in your family i don't know about you but i am a product of what my family and my my grandparents ate in the past where i would grew up you know all of those things so i'm very inspired on a personal level by how you've you know you left bake off one person and you entered strictly another (laughs) yeah um but it seems that you did it i mean Obviously, you mentioned the body dysmorphia. Was that the driving force? And have you managed to balance what is a dysmorphia, what is a a condition, with a kind of more balanced health?
1: Yeah, I think the dysmorphia and the body image definitely drove me to exercise, which I've been doing. You know, during Bake Off, I was exercising. But the problem is I wasn't allowing myself to eat enough. And I've learned, lockdown taught me that if you exercise... Because I, I got a barbell during lockdown on a bench and I just started properly bodybuilding. And I learned that if you eat properly and well and enough calories, and you know, that can look like on a Friday night a Domino's pizza. If you're hungover on a Sunday, you can have a McDonald's. I still do all of that. Um, but for me, it's just a case of eating enough. Because if you don't eat enough, you can't grow muscle. And if you don't grow muscle and you're working out, your body can actually catabolize and start to burn muscle you've got. So it's a trite saying, but... A good body, or I hate the phrase a good body because everybody's a good body, you know, a body that's a muscly body, let's say, which is what I want to achieve, is made 80% in the kitchen. And it really is true. So for me, there's a natural link between baking and food and bodybuilding for me. I still have dysmorphia. I still think my my quads are tiny, and I've got no chest. And my boyfriend will just say, "I'm not, you know, I'm not even entertaining that." And I have to measure myself. I will always have body dysmorphia. I will always have a form of bulimia. I will always be somebody with an eating disorder. But I think it's about managing that, because really, what I'm, what I do to my body, mate, it is not worth it. This is this is not worth it. It really isn't. Like the things I put my body through the amount of stress I put myself in, my cortisol levels must be through the roof. If I could have a magic wand and choose not to live life like I live it, I would, because half the time I want to eat and I want to enjoy my food, but I'm too restrictive. All this body positivity is really important. We've got to be body positive. Um, And I kind of, I go against that really because I'm trying to achieve this Greek God sculpted body, which isn't realistic, you know? And I feel guilty that people think, oh, I want to do that. How do I do it? Because do you know what? Live your fucking life. It isn't worth it. It really is not worth it.
0: And has there been any backlash? Because I think that there is a lot of, I've talked about pressure earlier, but there is a lot of pressure within our own community, especially if your body changes. I, I you know, I remember get someone I know getting a lot of backlash because all of a sudden they started working out, getting yeah. very muscly. And it was almost as if they'd, abandoned the twinks you know <laughs> and they started getting a lot of criticism for it well
1: i think our community doesn't like change generally because a lot of us i'm not, I'm not generalizing but many queer people grow up in very uncertain uh, environments and that causes a great sense of needing to latch on to certainty and, not, and security and change can be very triggering for many people so i think yeah when when i came into strictly and i was kind of muscly and lean I got a lot of messages saying what a shame you've become this muscle mary you were perfect before why do you feel the need to change even now when i put my workouts on my workout page i get middle aged women saying don't get too big you don't need to change and at the end of the day what i want to achieve for my body is what i want to achieve my body it isn't healthy it's not worth it as i've said but it's what my spirituality obviously requires of me um but yeah the community was a lot of the community was quite negative when it when i came onto strictly after a bit of a hiatus, and I was all buff and and bronze, but you know what, it's just, fuck them, you can't please everyone.
0: (laughs) Cheers to that. Cheers to that. that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how old are you now, John? 33. That's a ripe old age. So what would would 33-year-old John say to, I want to take you back 10 years at the beginning of Bake Off, and then also 10 years before that?
1: Well, I think I would say to Bake Off, John, just be gay, just be queer, be camp, be who you are. Because on Bake Off, I was very afraid of of coming out. I did eventually come out on Bake Off, and Twitter went was so supportive at the time. But I was afraid, and I just wish, I wish I'd not lived in the in the fear that I lived in during Bake Off. You know, so that would be, yeah. I would hold my hand and say, people are gonna love you you're going to dance with another man and you're going to change the world. I would say that. And then 10 years before that, 13-year-old John, oh, he was afraid. He was confused. I think I just need to be there with him. I'm not sure anything anyone could have said to me at that age would have helped. I think maybe something along the lines of, yeah, you are technically different from the lads in school and you are technically different from what we see on television, but there's a real sacred beauty in that and if you allow yourself you're going to have a beautiful life you're going to have a long relationship with someone who will teach you more than your parents have taught you about life but that takes courage so buckle up and keep fighting kid i feel emotional now (laughs) and i love that
0: i've got you feeling all emotional in your cabin and that is where we are ending this (laughs) podcast (laughs) I've been wanting to talk to you forever. Honestly, I think you're amazing. You're such an inspiration. So are you. And you do it in a beautiful way.